This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to episode 209 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today on the podcast, we welcome Eric Fisher from The Hated. The Hated were a four-piece emo band from Annapolis, Maryland, who were active from 1985 to 1990. They're considered an early emo band, and around the same time as many, as we know, like Rites of Spring, Grey Matter, and Moss Icon. Thankfully, Numero Group has their music streaming and available, so go search it out. Now to the interview. For those that have never been in college, or really, maybe you had a really great teacher in high school, perhaps, this is for you. Um, that one class that you felt so engaged with someone and it flowed back and forth with ideas that kept on a path that was both enlightening for the student and the teacher. So I think that's how to best describe this episode. Um, Eric, who's also a professor by profession, is glorious. And to listen back on, you know, if you haven't had a chance to be in a class like this before, this is really close to it. So kind of like when the bell rings and you felt like you can take on the world or you have a new appreciation for what you just learned. Um, that's how I sort of took this. So I learned so much from talking to Eric about his perspective on emo, his band, music, and philosophy. So my favorite part is actually when Eric talks about seeing Rites of Spring for the first time. So it's pretty epic and I can't wait for you to listen. Thank you all Patreon supporters out there. You keep the lights on with Washed Up Emo. You are truly the people that make me wake up in the morning to do this. If you want to support this DIY endeavor, head on over to patreon.com slash washed emo. also want to thank my podcast network, Double Elvis. Learn about all the amazing podcasts they produce and support over at doubleelvis.com. This is episode 209 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Eric Fisher from The Hater. They'll come back to you. They'll come back to you. They'll come back to you. Welcome back to you. Hello, Eric. Hi, Eric. This is Tom Mullen. How are you? Hey, Tom. I am great. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing surviving. How about that? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, hopefully, this little interview will will keep surviving on in the happy column. <laughs> I think so. Thank you for doing this. I'm glad that um, Ken was able to connect us. Oh, me too. Yeah, it's an honor, of course. Um, so I, I I apologize if if you'd said this before, but are, are you familiar with the show at all? Only and it's fine if bit. not. It's fine yeah, if not. Yeah, no. When when you know Ken put us together and you got in touch, I looked and and discovered you know, and I may have come across it you know before that. I just it's it's more that I just haven't been immersed in the historiography of, you know, whatever hated was part of or all the different things it was part of. And so my ignorance on washed up emo is more of a comment on just how kind of fringy I've been, you know, which is weird because I guess you could say on some level that was true in actually starting the hated and not even realizing 
how it kind of, in retrospect, dovetailed with a lot of other things. But I do know, you know, that you've done an amazing amount of, of, of good work, anthologizing things, hundreds of podcasts. And I was really charmed to, to see that you've done, you know, amazing work with Bob Dylan. I mean, Bob Dylan is, you know, one of, one of on a short list of heroes of mine. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I was very lucky to have, you know, another, I have two lives. Um, and the, the other one is, is the one that actually makes money. And, uh, yeah, I got to work with <laughs> Dylan and his, you know, his team and do a lot of really, really fun things and, um, you know, create things and build trust and to be able to say, I want to do this crazy thing that's never been done. Can we do it? And, um, yeah, it was, a it was pretty rad. Um, to be able to do that. Um, what was it like working with him? You don't work with him. Um, he is, uh, you work with his team and it's essentially <laughs> him. Um, and so, you know, things get presented and then they're presented to him and you get, you get notes back and, um, it's, it's very cool. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to be able to Did you feel like you could, tune into his vibe and vice versa. Yeah. I, I, it, it for some of the projects I was able to, uh, learn like one of the, one of the things I did was, you know, I, I did this, um, project where, uh, I recreated his drive up to big pink and I just slapped a GoPro on a car and, um, you know, uh, told the story about why he went up to big pink in, uh, mm. in Westchester. And, I just knew that it was like simple enough and to be able to explain it um, took a lot of, um, uh, you know, just sort of gumption and just said, I just have to go and say this idea to this team. And yeah. I knew that it would work. I knew that it, it kind of spoke to what the project we were working on and, and what, what it, what it, what we needed it to do. So, yeah, I felt really confident then that I was able to, uh, long answer but yeah it was very no, that fun. Is so cool it was very fun to have like a wavelength of that and like i said it's an honor to to be talking with you and i'm happy to just you know try to paint any pictures or inspire or you know twist memories or impressions you have you know um you know with the caveat that you know it sounds weird to say it but i think of myself as an outsider i always have and you know, the, just just the name hated is kind of a label that is, you know, I mean, that's kind of, you know, if you're hated, you're not really in the center of things loved by everyone. Right. Right. Um, and so, you know, my story of, of what happened and why and how um, is going to weave in and out of other maybe more mainstream, if that's even a word or if that's even applicable. It so, is, I'll, you know, another way of saying is I'll, I'll probably learn as much from you as you would from me. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Annapolis um, and I, I grew up, uh, you know, uh, probably from the age of one on, I lived in what's called the historic district. And from the age of five on, I lived less than a five minute walk from downtown historic Annapolis, which was the epicenter that's you know that's where everything happened that's where everybody came that was where rednecks cruised in their you know in their cars looking for fights that's where midshipmen you know were trying to you know you know spend their their time uh senators and congressmen coming down for drinks tourists galore 
and then a ragtag army of weird locals, you know, many of whom kind of helped pull me into old weird America and, you know, Folkways and Harry Smith and Bob Dylan and Pete Seeger and, and this, this kind of scrappy political uh, consciousness. Um, and so I walked everywhere I went, you know, I didn't have a car, didn't have a bicycle for the longest time, but I was fortunate enough to live where I could just, I could just cover things on foot. I mean, I was a peripatetic, I would walk, sometimes I would cover 10, 20 miles, just walking all day long <laughs> around Annapolis. I just got to know the place and saw it from many different perspectives, so. It's kind of a long answer to it isn't at all what I think what really what I resonated from that was just sort of your exposure to things. And and did you did you feel any sense of, you know, I I, want to do this myself or I I have this like, yeah, kind of like I want to make a change because I have friends in D.C. You feel it when you go in there. You're like, this, yes. this is where kind of stuff gets thrown around. And for you to be exposed to that was probably a big part of you know, oh, going against huge, the grain. Tom. Yeah. I mean, even before going to D.C. and encountering Mark Anderson and Positive Force and just going, OK, then, um, you know, just as you say, you know, it's near D.C. And there's this this weird, you know, who knows what it is, some, you know, American you know, uh, juvenile expressionism that's backed by fricking power. Um, and then there's also this kind of scrappy sense of let's hold on to the community. Let's hold on to our values. Let's not let, you know, the corporate machine run over what we've got here. Let's. And so um, even without all of that, I think, yeah, just kind of growing up listening to folk music and, being around artistic parents, um, I think I always was sort of looking to express and looking for medium. I wasn't even looking for mediums to express through. I was just, I was just finding mediums to express through. And then at some point, I don't know if it became a conscious quest, you know, oh, can I do music? Oh, what kind of music? It was more like, oh, what? I can do this. Okay. You know, fanzine done. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and the music, um, there was always kind of a tongue in cheek aspect to it. Um, I mean, the very first thing Daniel and I ever did that we called a band was just kind of, it was half spoof and half, um, you know, sort of honoring the Beatles. And we just, you know, took distorted guitars and found a drummer and a bass player and just cranked through I Want to Hold Your Hand and like all these old Beatles tunes and just destroyed them Sex Pistol style. And it was so energetic and so fun. And, you know, that, you know, that's kind of there was an irreverence there. There was there was a kind of sense of you can't really catch this. You can't. We're not doing this for you. We're doing this because we need to honor parts of our world that are overlooked, underappreciated, invisible, um, exploited. And, and, and so I think that urge inside of me that is partly an artistic urge, 
partly a communal urge, partly a product of of the place, as you're pointing out. I think it just kind of erupted and always did. Um, so, uh, you know, I, another piece of that is that there's, I think, at least in my mind, there was always a self-conscious rejection of any sort of imitative stance. And, you know, if you if you look at just what we've done, it it defies categorization, you know, to the point where, you know, we'll have multiple genres, you know, on, on one piece of vinyl. Um, and it's, it's, it, that's, again, it's not setting out with an intention of accomplishing something so much as it is a necessary expression. And, and the expression is, is, you know, echoing all the stuff that, that I was taking in and that Daniel was taking in but also attempting to make sense of it and and having a very very strong maybe this is where like the emo stuff comes in just having a very very strong sense of of you know what what you might call values just a sense of you know politics matter injustice matters people suffering matters lying politicians matter the injustice of the universe matters and 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 just you know just trying to express all that and and kind of laughingly seeing that it's fitting into these you know these artistic and cultural forms and that people are responding to them you know so kind so, of going about it backwards no so uh, could you I mean, what, what years is this? How, how old are you? Like, what is the, what's the timing on this around? I mean, I think I first heard Bob Dylan in the late 1970s and that changed my life. Um, and I think, um, you know, Daniel and I had known one another as kids, you know, young children through our families because both of our fathers taught at a local college called St. John's College and just tiny little little place in Annapolis. Everybody knows about the U.S. Naval Academy, but, you know, this place is sort of storied in its own right. And we were always around ideas and always around music in both cases. And so we really only bonded when we both started playing guitar and when we both fell in love with and started expressing the the music that we had always loved the Beatles but but when we discovered the clash it was just a game changer and so in the you know early 80s we would just get together on weekends and learn clash songs and as we learned them we would record our versions of them we would have these cassette tapes and we'd four track it. Two guitar parts, one in each stereo, two vocal parts, one in each, you know, channel. And and we just spent God knows how many hours doing that. And then we would divide it up. We would just lapse into frippin' Eno mode where where we would just be both plugged into distortion and we would just have these long, distorted, crackling notes bending slowly and chords playing repetitively and harmonics crackling and we do that for hours 
so you know um it, it really it, i think it only started taking shape outside of our bedrooms when yeah this this sort of you know beatles punk band um idea turned into an actual band we started writing songs and and then we we ended up you know by you know by the time that we played our first show it was you know we had already started our third band um and that would have been in 1984. wow so then what about like the bands around that time like did the the sounds you were making um what else was sort of happening as you started to play those first shows that was this was was this the hated or is this another band yeah this was um this was pre-hated um and you know there were some local bands that we knew the spastic rats the platinum slugs um and then there were you know other bands that the motor morons you know that that one sort of grew up hearing about there were these legends um you know and and, you know there's a lot of music happening sometimes you would just see a band once and, and never see it again and you know, sometimes you weren't sure, wait, is this a band in my local area or is this somebody coming down from Philly? So there was just kind of this sense that there's just sort of a uh, ecosystem of music. But there wasn't really a particular, you know, but I was going to um, the Treaty of Paris Jazz Club, you know, um, you know, on, on, on Main Street and, and, you know, hearing these, you know, greats coming by, you know, Tal Farlow and, and whatnot. Um, and then also, you know, hearing small chamber music and, and large symphonic productions, just, you know, deeply into into Mozart and Bach. So there's a lot of, of, of music. And in terms of, you know, any anyone local we would have identified with, um, I don't know that we were classing ourselves with anybody. I, you know, I, I think it was there was there was a sense of, OK, you know. Uh, the rats have this band, you know, I think, you know, we could, you know, if they can do it, we can do it, you know, that kind of attitude. And so you sort of grow up with these, you know, um, you know, compatriots. But I think in terms of having a deep musical, spiritual connection, and again, maybe this is where the emo label keeps coming in and it becomes sticky because it grabs all these things that we don't have other names for. Um, but I think that when I, first heard government issue that was like a lightning bolt going through my soul it was the sound and the speed and the compact tightness that this energy that was just explosive and yet so tightly focused so disciplined so minimalist and i just I just lost my mind. I remember, you know, the, the the first night I heard that a friend of mine had just come back from DC, he had a ghetto blaster, and he said, "Check this out, Eric." And I, I, we just turned it up and just walked up and down, you know, Main Street, and just that, that then I think there were not conscious influences, but that how could that not influence what we were writing? You know, and so I think that, you know, and then we started going to D.C. and seeing these bands. And but, you know, I think there was a sense of like, okay, you know, we want we want to be part of this. We want you guys to recognize what we're doing. But at the same time, we thought that what we were doing was I thought what we were doing was so far away in terms of where it's coming from. 
right? I mean, there, there are similarities and differences, Tom, right? There was a lot to resonate with. There was a lot to go, wow, we found our tribe, but, you know, and, and wow, we found a potential platform. But there was also a sense of, huh, okay, <laughs> you know, these guys aren't at all conscious of histories of social movements. Right. The way, you know, I grew up with, you know, freaking Greenwich Village, you know, um, and where that came from. Uh, you know, and, and there's not a sense of, of sort of musical traditions that one can tap into for growth and renewal and inspiration, but they don't fucking need any of that shit. So let's do it. <laughs> you know, so there was, you know, I, I think I always was, you know, as, as a visual, I would think, how does the hated fit into the DC scene? We're just too sprawling. You know, it's like it, we're not you know, we love those guys. They're, they're, they're our inspiration in many respects for, for the discipline and the tightness and, and the, the sort of focused energy. But we're doing stuff that's quarterly outrageous and, and you know, harmonics, um, weird melodies, weird chords that we can't even name, extended songs. You know, there's a way in which um, we just we use punk rock as a medium for our sort of artistic spiritual journeys and expression that really resonates because when i when you ex- describe government issue government issue excuse me um i when someone asks me to explain emo i say yeah. that it's it's like the song is going to break but it never does mm. Like that Mm. tension, you know, like that tension between this sounds like this is going to fall apart immediately, but it never does. And it, like you said, it's focused. And that's where, when you said that, I'm like, okay, we're, I, I think that's, that's definitely a line that I feel is connected with, you know, your, your emotions, you, you have to keep them together, right? You're in an argument, you're, you're speaking in front of things. You have to keep your emotions together, um, no matter, and you're, you know, maybe behind some words, you're, you're hiding behind words or you're, or you're being, um, uh, but you're, you're, you're doing it passionately. You care. And I think that's, um, so I, that's really interesting. And like you said, the weird chords, extended songs, like not having something to go, well, let me go look at this discord catalog and I'll just, you know, file this away. Like it was almost, I I just feel like you were, I'm, I'm not, I'm not religious, but like spiritually, like it was just, I feel like you guys were in this air. It was in the air. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's really cool that you can pick up on that because I mean, Daniel and I were like two little monks, <laughs> just like, you know, still in our teen years and you're, you know, you know, one, you know, okay. One weekend we're getting drunk on a bottle of vodka, you know, but you know, then, you know, the 24 hours later we're sitting in meditation and full Lotus, like out on a grassy field, you know, and our friends may or may not be there. They may or may not be taking photos of us. Um, and we we grew up with religious parents who took us to church and we sang music at this church and we were both in the choir and we used to wear combat boots and choir robes and sing like you know three cool medieval hymns with daniel's father at as as the music minister you know just kind of pulling together this scrappy little chorus what what religion 
that was um, just weird kind of Protestant Christianity, you know, just kind of a tame, a tame, yeah. But I mean, my father is Jewish. And so, you know, I was always going back and forth between Judaism and Christianity, like, which one should I let kill the other? Here? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, my grandmother and, and, and you know, both, of my, you know, all four of my, my grandparents came from the old world. And so, you know, there were these, you know, a sense of like both Judaism and also hardcore, you know, um, European Catholicism. That's what um, I grew up on. Okay. And I went, yeah. I, they made me go until I was confirmed and I played in the church band because that was the only way I could get through 45 minutes, right? Of whatever the <laughs> thing was. I just, I was like, if I'm going to, if I'm going to have to go, I'd rather just play. Um, oh. And so I, yes. would, and you know, I had to go to, I think I it was, didn't. yeah, it was like one practice a week, but then I did like, I think I forget if it was Saturday or Sunday, but that was the way I got through it. Cause I was like, I right. can't, I like you saying when the combat boots, like, I'm like, well, if, if you're going to make me go, I'm going to do something that I want to do. And we actually had a rock. Um, I actually had a straight edge rock um, mass. I convinced the priest to, <sighs> to not do alcohol because I was straight edge. I'm still straight edge. And nice. he, and it, he, we did like grape juice. And then I think I, we, we got to play electrified. So I actually mm. have not remembered that since uh, high school, but I hadn't forgot that. Mm. But like, I feel like those, the, like you said, you had, you were exposed to all of these different things and, trying to figure it out in this political area of, mm-hmm. you know, thought and um, progressiveness. And it just mm-hmm. seems like it was this breeding ground um, and you were okay to do your own thing. You didn't feel like you had to do covers, you know, to survive. Oh yeah. Never. No, 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 no. I mean, for us, music was so much more important than, you know, growing up and becoming a, an adult who fits into society and can earn a living and material wealth, even even like social standing, paled in comparison to the experience of tapping into the force of music and having it run through your body. And when you start making it and what you're making is expressing these overtones and undertones throughout your day, throughout your you know, your scenes and you're able to make that music and share that communion with someone else. It's a game changer. Nothing else matters. The music just took over it. You know, it didn't, we didn't choose it to lead us somewhere. We, we chose to attend to it. Even if, you know, if it, if it messed up our schoolwork or, you know, made us seem even more weird than we were to some of our, you know, uh, neighborhood friends or schoolmates, it was just something we had to do. What about hearing the word emo for the first time? Yeah, I think I thought it was a joke. I thought, you know, okay. When was it? (laughs) Oh, man. Probably very late in the game for me. Probably, I mean, I may be misremembering when it started, but I think I consciously took in the word, you know, in, oh, sometime after 2007, 
Right. You know? Yeah. When, I mean, so, that, that's when that word yeah, that's was when you started this, right? Yeah. I started the, I started the podcast, but that was when I, I started it because people were misunderstanding it. Um, they were start, nice. they were thinking, you know, it was a few bands on the radio and MTV. And I was trying to be like, no, there's these other things before it. And this is where <laughs> it started. And here's where all the things connect. And obviously the internet was a different place. Um, then, uh, but yeah, I, I think that's really interesting when you heard that. And then what about it applying to your band? Like, what was that like? I I mean, I was kind of offended because I thought, geez, you know, this is just like a, so I think I read it in the context of the hated and didn't think it applied. And I was like, Oh, they're trying to say that something. And then I thought, Oh wait, no, what they're saying is that there's this movement called emo and the hated sort of like help contribute to it. And I thought, wow, I'm honored to know that there's, you know, that kind of energy playing forward to, to what we created so long ago. And then I realized that, no, 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 we're, we're being subsumed as part of this movement. And I thought, oh. Interesting. Oh, man. Yeah. Like, you know, what do I do with that? You know, like, I guess I, I should be happy that people are even listening to that music and thinking about what it means and where it comes from. But geez, you know, maybe I should go write a book or maybe we should get back together and and play this stuff. And, you know, (laughs) so even then it, I mean, that's a very normal response from 99% of the people on the show. Um, (laughs) so that's totally fine. I mean, people say no to the show because it has the word emo in it. (laughs) I'm sorry to laugh. That's no, it's such so, a, an extreme it's so true. reaction. It's hilarious. It's beautiful. It's, it is hilarious. There's, what is it about these bands that cause them to be, to, to, to so hate what they're known as? I mean, that, it just makes me think of, you know, Daniel's song, Words Come Back. Right. And yeah. as much as that's about the name Hated, you know, it's funny. I mean, I embraced the word hated because it just seemed dark and it seemed victimized and it seemed defiance. But the word emo just seems like a soft, rubbery target. And, you know, but so why does that name stick if everybody who's part of it hates it? it there's, I think, part and I can already see my Twitter replies blowing up or Facebook DMs or whatever it is in the future of if you're listening to this in 2040. But like, I think it was that the words sort of hung out in the 80s and 90s and sort of had a moment. And then when you like 2001 and through when you found out about it in 07, it was as is essentially what. You know, you're hearing that after Taylor Swift or you're hearing that after BTS. Ooh. Like that's where these songs sat. And I think nice. I think it was in a it was a, obviously a bands intersected between pop punk, hardcore and emo and certain bands mm-hmm. wanted to be connected to it or not. I felt that if they were making money, they said, hell yeah, put that name tag on it. And if they mm-hmm. weren't or they were sort of overshadowed, they mm-hmm. felt that it was a detriment. And the only other story that I think will help you is like, I was at a hardcore label and we had some bands that crossed over and we 
didn't have that right sound at the moment for some of these bands and they Ooh. were they were you know essentially i mean it's like it's like being at a major label you don't sound like this band like they're not going to sign you or you're not going to get that tour and yeah. i felt the commodification of it stunted the weird band coming through or the 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 kid in the town seeing the weird show and going i'm going to go do something weird too it just became this sort of package tour everything sounded mm-hmm. the same so Mm-hmm. That's where I, I, that's what happened. And I think that people remember that time, or if there's a way to make a joke, that's, that's easy. It's very easy to make fun of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think for you around maybe the eighties and you had all these bands and you were kind of scrapping around, it might like geek kind of jokes. Like it didn't really have a name. People laughed at it um, even then. And it was sort of forgotten, but like you talked about with government issue, that sound, that feeling, that's not punk. That's not hardcore to me. Like I got out of hardcore very quickly. I was like, I'm mm-hmm. over this. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just thought that, like you said, there's more, there's a minimalist to it, but there's like this mm-hmm. weirdness to it that I think people connect with and why it's still around. So that's my rant. But I just think that's where it is a the, weirdness. It, it, there's a weirdness to it that I love that I want to feel threatened when I hear it or I want to feel yes. like weird. I want to feel like what mo- what way are they in? I don't want to know where the song goes. Yeah. Yeah. There's something self-consciously journalistic about it. I mean, Daniel and I both wrote, we kept journals and and that's kind of a weird way of saying it because that sounds so mainstream. Do you keep a journal? It was more like, you know, I just found this blank book one day and started filling it with my psychotic thoughts, you know, just to sort of process them. And turns out Daniel was doing the same thing and we would share back and forth and they would become more narrative, more poetic, more sort of, you know, metacognitively, reflexively, you know, authentic in terms of I am writing this and I don't know why I'm writing it, but I need to write it and my friend will read it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so there's a sense that, that bands that, that, you know, we inspired and, were inspired by and played alongside of took songwriting very seriously, took music and the musical expression of what we were writing about very seriously, very much to heart. Sometimes it's, there's always an element of rawness, as you're saying, this sense of, you know, it could explode, it could fall apart at any moment. Why? Because there's such a deep wellspring of intensity. But there's also a very, in some cases, this the stuff that I choose to focus on is the stuff that's very sophisticated. It may be sophisticated in a minimalist sense. It may be sophisticated in a reaching sense. Um, but it's it's almost like you encounter something in someone and a group of people who are echoing back your inchoate thoughts and experiences and there's not it's not like there's some sort of ideological framework that it fits into or oh look at the world this way it's more like i can just resonate with the raw energy from this music because i've got that inside of me 
and it's sacred. I want to protect it, and I don't let it out of the box. You know, I can't let it out of the box at school, at work, in family settings, in social settings, but it's there and it's real, and I'm not going to forget about it. And this music somehow shines a light on that and taps into it. And so there is a sort of, it's like a protest movement, but what's being protested is not a set of politically recognized issues. These are the things that are underground. And and emotions are harder to talk about than thoughts. And so I think the, the label that people have come up with for this music is, you know, indicative of the inarticulate, the unexpressed, the dishonored, the raging. <laughs> um, it's almost it's almost as though it's it's sort of a cut deeper than punk. You know, if if, if we're thinking about it this way. Yeah. You know, it's like a live wire. It, it yeah, it is. I I I you know, got into metal, got into hardcore, was into punk for a minute, but then I saw this and I'm like this almost has like you know, you, it was like, there's layers, like it's not just four on the floor and right. here comes the breakdown. It's like, Oh, here's a six minute opus at the end of a song that, you know, culminates yes. in like chaos, like sign yes. me up. Mm -hmm. And that's why I just, like you said, there's like people's like to just, Oh, it's, it's this and that it's like there it's, I, I really, I really enjoyed the way you're describing that it is, I think that's why it's still around. People get, I mean, I get hit up all the time. They're like, what are you talking about? It's still around. I'm like oh. that feeling of mm. wanting to express yourself. Okay. And yes, you can do it in a punk song. Yes. You can do it in a hardcore song. And you say, mm -hmm. you know, we got to do the food, not bombs. I get it. But from mm -hmm. the emotional standpoint, you can be more open. And I think like you said, you don't have to say anything to someone. Someone hears it and they resonate and it's unlike, that's why there's a word for it. It's unlike any other genre. Mm -hmm. Did you yeah. feel that, did you feel that, that like when people started to see the hated or you were releasing those songs that, did you feel that when people came up to you or other bands talked to you? Did you feel that same way? Oh, hell yeah. Um, I think that's why we kept doing it. And that's why we kept taking it more and more seriously and to deeper and, and more ambitious deeper levels and more ambitious heights. I, I, yeah, I think that the, the reception, the response was so overwhelmingly affirmative and so surprisingly so that it's almost as though we had a duty to go, holy shit, man, we're making these sounds because we need to make these sounds because we're not hearing them anywhere else but you guys want to hear them too. That's interesting. <laughs> right. I guess we're, you know, I guess we're, you know, we're sort of in the process of, of, of conveying something here or, or interpreting it or pointing to it in a way that, that not just we need it, but our friends and, and people we've never met before need it. I mean, that was from even the early days. I remember, you know, playing shows, with you know you know there'd be like you know one 
California surf punk bands, one, you know, metal band and us. <laughs> it's like, what are we all doing here? It doesn't matter because we've got something to say. Right. And, Those were the first shows I remember. Like it was like, mm-hmm. oh, there's a hardcore band from Boston and this weird band from Montreal and then a local band. I'm like, cool. What, what's mm-hmm. what's what, what's everybody doing? Where's the distro? Like, you know, educate me. Like what what's mm-hmm. what's happening outside of my bubble? Um, mm-hmm. And for for you, it's funny you heard the word in 2007. So did that word was not mentioned at all when you guys were around? No, never. Wow. Never. No. Revolution Summer was mentioned. DC hard DC core, you know, hardcore in a DC sense was mentioned. I mean, um, who who told you like? Who started to say the hated was like was was it Shipley was it Ken or was it I mean I, I'm just I'm I'm trying like no, that's it was, fascinating. It was no one it was no one from within my circle. It Interesting. Was, you know I was reading you know alternative I mean, press or something I know, or spin. Could have been washed up emo. Right. I was reading something. <laughs> you know, and I was like, what the hated the, in an emo? What's that? What? What? Oh, what? You know, and like it was just kind of shocking. I didn't even mention it to to Daniel or or, or Kenny Hill um, when I would talk with them. It, you know, it just I think it only came up when um, we only started talking about it collectively when we were. Um, I don't know if it was when we were doing we were starting to get Trouble Man um, project together or whether it was it had already started shifting over to Numero. Wow. Um, but it's only been recently that, you know, we passed that word back and forth. How do you feel about that. it? I mean, I, I feel honored. I feel um, that it's that on some level it's tremendously important and that I, I think that it's just too easy to make fun of it. And I make fun of it. You know, I mean, I'm horrible. I just, you know, I'm just, you know, but in all honesty, there's a there there and it needs to be preserved. It needs to be celebrated. It needs to be tapped into and seen for what it is. I don't know why there's all this kind of superficiality and co-optation that surrounds it. Um, you know, maybe it's just because the word emo just lends itself. It's just a little too um, kind of naive and superficial. You know, it doesn't have any pretensions to, to, you know, pointing to something that matters. It's just kind of raw, right? right. I think there's a failure to appreciate it's what we do with emo. It's the fact that we turned it into a movement. It's the fact that we tapped into, you know, there's a lot of conceptual work. There's a lot of, of you know, musical structure. There's a lot of, of collective um, consciousness that's self-conscious. Um, you know, and none of that is expressed in, in the term. And so people tend to think that that's not in the music either. You know, it's just kind of a an escapism thing or, or like, you know, uh, you know, music for wimps or something like that. When in fact, you know, it's it's really sort of deeply human. And and there's a lot we can learn from what what these kids who have made and are making this music were and are up to. Right. That's, that's the part that I get excited about every day is that there's another email from someone all over the world saying, I listen to this band and this band and this band, and here's my band. And it's like, holy shit. 
Like it's still yeah. going. And yeah, I, um, yeah, it just seems very, um, like it, it, like no one says punk went away, but anytime the big emo band comes back, there's all these articles about emos back. I'm like, the thing's still happening. It never went away. It never left. And it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of hear these early moments of you intersecting in a time when, you know, rights was happening, Moss Icon, like those kind of things were happening. Do you, do you remember other bands like those that you felt were kinship or were, uh, sure. Sure. I mean, there were bands that we never even saw that just, just were riveting funeral oration. What was that again? Um, funeral oration tell me about them oh they're i can't remember which scandinavian country they're from they're northern europe um very sparse very cold very grim but this absolute ethereal yearning that runs through there there's this this sense of loss and tragedy about them just the name itself there's also you know and intelligence there, you know, I thought of them, I thought, okay, hated clash funeral oration. And it's the most pompous thing to say, but, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, we're all taking our words seriously. They're either political or theological emissaries. <laughs> right. And so, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I mean, really, the, I never stopped identifying with The Clash. I never, never stopped identifying with, um, you know, Mick Jones's musical presence and Joe Strummer's lyrical delivery, just Shakespearean. Um, the, 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 uh, the political, the, you know, the, the sense of, you know, one is weighted down by, the the responsibility of just knowing what's going on in the world knowing what's happening on the other side of the fence knowing that what's happening inside your fence is part of you know uh, whether it's mass suffering or mass you know um commission of of you know capitalistic injustice it just the weight of that knowledge and the human weight, the suffering, the, the, you know, the sense of vulnerability and, and misuse that's going, that's just running through institutions, local and global. You know, I think Strummer really, and, and just being utterly outraged and indignant about it. You know, I think, I think bands that express that were hard to find, but when you found them, they stuck with you. And it, and I'm just, you know, I'm, again, I'm using the clash to represent sort of the political version of that and funeral oration to represent a more elevated existential kind of, um, crisis that, that, that calls forth your humanity in a way that it otherwise wouldn't be called forth. Mm-hmm. You know, and just just the fact that their name references something out of, you know, an ancient Greek historian, um, you know, also kind of shows that there are layers here. And, and so, 
you know, that's, that's, I guess that's a quality to the bands that we really connected with that they were somehow honest about their confusion, their uncertainty, their indignancy, um, you know, and, and, and we were all being true to something inside of us. Right. Right. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm thinking of Tomas Squip, you know, from Beef Eater or just the, the kind of almost Bob Marley like presence he would, he would emulate in his lyrics and in his presence and in his delivery, you know, um, Beef Eater stood for something. Right. And, and there was this sense that, you know, it's on the line and you don't joke around with that. You know, you don't leave a show going, that was a good time. You leave a show humbled and proud and inspired and motivated. I love that. Yeah, I the, it's it it just I think again I'll use I'm not I love hardcore, I love punk, but I I and there were times where I had that feeling, but it was way more at a band that and was sort of taking that approach and it sort of it was just like this is something different and that's why there's another name to it. Um so yeah. Um which is great and your explanation of it or where you sort of came from um helps explain maybe why some of that, I mean, is still there. Um, some of those things are still there, um, with, with people trying to not just the, my, my first band, but it's like my first band and I'm not, I'm not faking it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm telling you exactly how I feel and, um, what, what I want. And like you said, it, 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 you, you remember something from it. Um, yeah, I mean, it was risky and I think, that's another thing that pulls people together about this music. It's risky sonically, lyrically, you know, on stage, you're vulnerable. And maybe that's, again, why there's this aspect of why, you know, it's easy to make fun of it, at least on the surface, because it's just a gaping wound. And, you know, the fact that, that, that there's this sort of need. I know when I was younger, I I just bled this need to be authentically myself. But to do that would be to risk vulnerability and to risk being mocked or being passed over. And 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 yet you make that choice on some level, whether it's in your your musical selection, what you choose to listen to. Um, how you choose to present yourself, you know, how you choose to think about yourself to take that risk is to really reward yourself, you know, on a spiritual level, you know? Um, and, and so the fact that that dynamic of saying, okay, I'm going to risk myself here and that's going to make myself stronger and more clear. And that's going to help forge a, a, a shared identity and a sense of meaning you know, that's, that's extremely rare. And, you know, it's, I guess it's sort of ironic that it was profitable and maybe all the, the superficiality and the sort of silliness of emo is just simply tied to what you were describing in terms of the, the machinery that, that sort of 
turned it into a wealth generation. Of course, it's not going to, you know, conform to certain expectations or formula because that, that that's antithetical to the essence that charges it. Right. You know, but it's also, it's great that it, it, it made it that far. It punched up to that level, you know, uh, of consciousness. It's almost like, well, society just doesn't know what to do with this type of expression, you know, other than try to package it and, and turn it into a commodity. But, you know, it's raging against commodification in a way punk rock never did. Punk rock did it in a Marxist way. But, you know, explain that emo. Well, in a sense that, um, you know, there are, you know, if you commodify things, then, you know, artists are going to suffer and, you know, industrialists are going to do better. But emo isn't really looking at social strata and saying, no, you know, we need to stick up for the working class, right? Emo is going, I need to stick up for my heart. I need to stick up for my consciousness. I need to stick up for my authenticity and all the things that make me want to, (laughs) what they used to say in the early 70s, right? Fly your free flag high. Right. right? It, it, it's it's more similar to the, the sort of the freakiness of the hippie movement or the folk movement than to the kind of um, easily packaged punk rock sideshow that, you know, you know, a, a London club might might have going. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, I definitely feel the difference. And I. Um... It's not that I'm just agreeing with you, but it, it sort of resonates where I just, I could, someone would say like, again, I'm not like, I, I have a fake website called isthisbandemo.com and I just made it like a long time ago mm. and just started putting thousands of bands in and cracking jokes and telling them if they're mm. emo or not for like, mm. like just kicks and people mm-hmm. now take it for real, but it's, it's literally a fake website, but people would kind of come to me or find me at the DJ nights we would do, or, you know, I'd be at a show and they would be like, well, why is this? Why is that? And to me, it was so clear of that intent or the, yeah. the, it just, it was like, you don't see it. Like it's not yeah. this punk intent. It's this, an other outworldly thing that, um, if no one was there or a hundred people were there, it's the same thing. You know, it's amazing, Tom. I'm so glad you told me about that website. I love that. And what it does is it helps kind of add another dimension to this conversation. And, and that is, I can think of a literary analog of someone who was writing at the time, whose novels were just as weird and fringe on the one hand and vulnerable and risky and railing against something that it barely was able to understand, but that it had to dress up in political and theological frames. And on the other hand was, you know, a commercial phenomenon. And that is Kurt Vonnegut. And the reason I thought Kurt Vonnegut is because that motherfucker had a, character named um something trout i can't remember his first name but you know this is a character that would appear in a couple of his novels and it was the guy was like a washed up science fiction writer kilgore trout i think was his name Mm -hmm. and and i love that about him and just the fact that he had these characters and he had these people who were really earnest and they really meant what they had to say but they were kind of like they were castaways, and the only ones paying attention to them was Kurt Vonnegut, who's writing this novel. And years later, I was in Philadelphia, hanging out with my friends, 
from stinking Lizaveta, which, you know, is this death metal jazz <laughs> phenomenon. And I was in a bookstore, used bookstore. They used to exist, you know? And I remember like pulling off this slim beaten paperback volume and looking at it and it was Venus on the half shell. And I thought, what a stupid title. And I flipped it around. It's by Kilgore Trout. Wow. And I, I looked at the photograph, the black and white photograph of Kilgore Trout, and it was goddamn Kurt Vonnegut with a beard and dark glasses. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Wow. He had a fake website just like you. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it just, it it, it helped people because there was like, what is, what isn't, or, and it, it came to be, I liked that there was a joke element to it, like, it, it there's there's inside jokes there's easter eggs there's all these things in there that sort of help people you know if you went and typed in whatever band and it said no what are you going to do you're going to put more yeah. bands in <laughs> like yeah. that was sort yes. of the joke that i fucked with people people were like this is wrong this is wrong i'm like you just spent a half hour on my website like yes like it's not it's you you did exactly what i needed you to do <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So what, so, so Tom, man, I mean, you know, I don't know if you've read much Vonnegut, you know, I, can I haven't barely remember. Okay. Um, should I, I mean, he was just kind of like, he was a cut up, right. He was just sort of, he was a social critic, but he did it in a way that didn't necessarily draw attention to himself as an authority figure. Right. You know, it was kind of a, a sort of, you know, like a, a sort of like, hey, I'm just on the sidelines here. And I, I, I just bring them up because it seems like a lot of the bands that at the time we valued, even though they had great aspirations, they, you know, they took the, their, their, their craft really seriously. They took their craft seriously and they took their intuitions and impulses seriously, but they didn't necessarily take themselves seriously they weren't interested in crafting a persona that would play well in these different media right right so that's you know. that's really that resonates because i think people got smarter and saw like oh i can create this song and i'll have a website and i'll right. have a really cool myspace page <laughs> or i'll have a really cool photo and i love yeah. that progression right like i remember yeah. buying crappy mixtapes or you know or or you know uh cd's or you know comps and it, you know you could watch the sort of the progression of people getting smarter i have no problem with people marketing and doing it well sure. i i like the write up i like mm. the 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 doing it 
like you said, the intuition, the impulse, the not taking it too seriously. There's there's not a lot of people around watching. I love that moment of a band. Mm. And once it like once they do their like first headlining tour and they stop responding to the text Ooh. because NPR Ooh. called them, that's when Ooh. that's when I'm on to something else, right? And yeah. I just think that's part of the 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 thing I love about this is that I I I've never been interested in like the the success it's more of the you did it and you created it and you maybe did you wouldn't have otherwise if there wasn't someone before you and i feel like again we could be i I, you know i don't do drugs or drink but i just feel like there's this connection right now where i can i see where you were talking without me leading you is that those are the those are the tent poles of what people connect to on this music with what you guys were doing yeah no, I mean, you know, just to turn the spotlight of what we're saying, this apparatus, this discussion we're having on to the hated, sort of analyzing the hated as a case in point. Right. I mean, here are two kids that are like throwing chants into the end, as you were saying, the crashing end where everything falls apart, you know, in such a controlled way. Right. I mean, hated always had these, not always, but more and more, I guess. We just, we would just end songs with silence when we were, when Daniel and I would play, you know, when no one was looking, but then when the more and more, when we had audiences and whatnot, and we plugged in, we had electric, there would just be this whining feedback that would need to echo through the hall for, you know, what seemed like five minutes before the song could end because there was so much intensity and sometimes that was self-consciously captured you know like at the end of every song when we've got you know we're singing this you know it's reminiscent of chant and you know and it's got this kind of hallowed feel you know which befits the lyrics and and befits the sort of folk political theological style of, of, of lyrics that are there, but it also just erupts if you listen to a song like No More We Cry from the same album. This is such a tight song. It begins immediately. The message begins along, you know, the, the words and the lyrics and the, and the chordal progression, and it ends, but it can't end. It has to just scream you can hear Daniel screaming into his pickups in the fucking recording room. I mean, we just howled at the end of these songs because it's like you were saying, there was so much controlled rage and passion running through these songs, the composition and the playing that when you get to the end, all that, you know, wheels are falling off, just has to happen. You have to honor it. And, and you know, th- that was part of the music. The feedback, the dissonant notes, the screaming, you know, into pickups, that was part of the music. That was part of the art form. That was part of the conveyance of what we're talking about. Did you see that? Any? Did you see anybody else do that? No one really did that other than us that I can think of. I mean, I would say Wrights did that in their songs. Yeah. I think they they were able to take that and fill in 
the spaces and tr- and interpret that harmonically and chordally and rhythmically uh, and melodically just in ways, you know, I remember the first time I walked into a Rites of Spring show. Oh my God. It, it was moments, be- you know, it's like, okay, there's this new band at 930. Let's go hear them. And you left the, I mean, you left that place like you had just done ecstasy. I've never done ecstasy, but um, you left that place a changed person because the entire human mass was moving together in a beautifully distorted, melodic, harmonic way. And it elevated everyone in there in a way that, you know, we hadn't gotten from any other DC band. Wow. You know, on the one hand, there's, they were more sorrowful than even, you know, Beefeater, but they were also aspirational. Even if it was kind of a broken heartedness about the aspiration that's unfulfilled, that aspiration stands, the ideal stands there. Again, it's a commitment to what's driving you. Wow. That you don't lose focus. What what year uh, was that? Oh man, I you know, I'd have to figure it out. It was all but, run um, together. The mid 80s. It was like right it was probably 70 No, it was it was No, that just shows how, how 80s. Badly, 80s, yeah. right? Yeah, it was 80s. I'm thinking of Revolution Summer, and for some reason, the, the the number 1979 popped into my mind. But I think that's because I was thinking of a Dylan show I <laughs> that had a similar effect. Wow! It had a similar effect where when you were walking out, it was a small show, you know. And Dylan did these massive shows back then, right? It's like, how did I get into this tiny little thing? And you're walking out, and it's not like everyone's laughing and having a good time. It's like everyone's going, "Fuck." We just not only witnessed that, but we're part of that, you know, because Dylan, I mean, he's able to, you know, he's, he's got that, what, there's that quote, I'm just a song and dance man. He's able to do a lot of different songs and dances. And when he decides to put on a show and like thank the audience and cry, as opposed to just like spitting and mocking the audience, singing along with him, it, it's different. It slows you down. And so I think that's why I, I made that, made that connection. Um, but you know, yeah, it was the eighties. Um, who else, know, who and, else were you seeing at, 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 at the time? Like, did you see Moss Icon? Did you see Grey Matter? Oh, sure. I mean, Moss Icon, they, they came onto the scene after we were starting to get established and they came up from Annapolis. Um, and they were just this incredible force that, that just seemed like a kindred spirit, you know, it's like, wow, you know, before, you know, all our local, local bands, all our sort of brethren bands, if you, if you will, um, cause there weren't very many, <laughs> there weren't very many women. Right. And Monica, Monica was, you know, she broke the mold, not just in Annapolis, but, but, you know, in surrounding areas and just the kind of, the halting stop start comfort 
of this well-oiled machine that was made of meat, you know, just such a pulsating experience to, to just see a Moss Icon show. You could feel, it's like, you know, you could feel everyone just breathing through the music together. You know, it was a real sort of embodied experience and a collective experience. And again, there's that aspirational experience where, you know, there's a sense that the world is broken, but that we're not giving up either. Right. Yeah, it's it's that again, that 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 you not euphoria, but you're sort of you are trying. You're trying to keep it together. Yeah. And it's a noble effort. And in doing it, you might die, but your friends are going to witness that and they're going to will you to stay alive. <laughs> it's like, we need each other here, guys. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I actually, uh, Tony was one of the, one of my favorites just because I just, you know, sat there and listened like uh, so much to say and um, what he's done over the years too. So, and that, that was from your, that was from the same town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about, I'd love to, you know, I think, even though people are going to listen to this, um, you know, uh, whenever and welcome if you're in the t- year 2040, um, I'd love for you to talk about, you know, the the uh, best piece of shit volume four numero. And then I'd love to kind of mention, you know, maybe cut through a few songs and sort of talk about them. And we didn't get to talk about guitar as much. I- I- I'm a guitar player as well. So I kind of love, you know, knowing some of those little nerdy things. But how does it feel awesome. to have best piece of shit volume four numero it's out in the world. People can experience it. What's that like between you guys? It and- feels right. It feels right, Tom. You know, I mean, it took us forever. How come to get, well, it's a long story and there are lots of stories. And if there's legal ones, and don't worry about it. We can skip it. No, thank God. We never got legal about it. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Sweet Jesus. Yeah. Woo. Oh, yeah. No, no. Just friendly disagreements among <laughs> among the lads, um, you know, in a sense of, of, you know, we're all really busy. Um, we all love the music and we care about it, but we're also all perfectionists. And so we only want it done in the right way. <laughs> um, well, you went to the right place. You went to the right place. <laughs> but um, but I mean, shit. Um, Shipley is is so beautiful because he wants to. He doesn't always get it, but he wants to channel or at least allow the vision of the band, of the musicians, of the artists to come through. And that's so much more than you normally get. Absolutely. And, and so, I mean, that in itself is a punk rock emo statement, you know? Right. Um, you know, but... You know, we, you know, we're like, uh, Ken, um, yeah, we got a lot of material, uh, maybe a little bit more than you expect, and maybe more than you're going to want to hear, my friend, but we're going to fucking put it together and put it out there because this is the story of the hated, or this is one story of the hated. You know, if you were around in 83, 84, 85, you would have been hearing this shit. Right. You know, you would have walked into you know, a room where, you know, everyone was listening to a demo before attempting to try it. And the demo was a a recording of an acoustic guitar and a guy singing. And he's playing this, you know, he's already played it to his 
his co-songwriter and now he's playing it to the whole group and, and everyone's like all right let's let's put drum and bass to this you know just or a back you know back street concert impromptu concert uh, you know two acoustic guitars and two wailing geeks um you know and like 12 dedicated leather clad friends who are just like yes you know this is this is why I'm alive to like be part of this. Right. So we wanted, we wanted to help paint that picture based on the, the recorded sounds and songs that we still have, you know, that sort of kind of explain where everything from Hey Mister to Touch It came from. And then, you know, the, the sort of the, the acoustic stuff and rubber bullets and, and waiting that, that immediately followed that first tape what is that world? What's the greater context of that world? And, you know, the best we could do is say, well, why don't you listen to what we were writing that got us there, what we were writing in between those songs, what we were writing to make those songs possible, and, you know, what our friends would have heard anyway. You know, we just took those studio recordings that we had thrown together and released that. But where do they come from? You know, right. And and so and not only that, Daniel and I had way too much fun sequencing. You know, everything after Touch It, you know, except for Rubber Bullets and Waiting, those two acoustic songs um, is unreleased. Wow. So everything from and, track 11 onwards, 11 to 30 is unreleased. Yeah, with the exception of, of whatever track the acoustic waiting is. Oh, right, it's been, track 20. Yeah, yeah, and so that's what we did. Like, we actually designed this more for the double album gatefold mm-hmm. vinyl thing, right, where it was a side one and side two, where the original sides one and two of, of the best piece of shit first release, but then sides three and four each began with an acoustic published hated song and then everything that follows on that side was almost an elaboration of what comes out of that song that's awesome so if someone was brand new they'd never heard the hated they're listening to this because they love me and they they want to uh they they want to learn where where should they start is it really is it so simple as starting with track one and being able to just go from there I mean, you can jump in pretty much anywhere you are. I would say it depends what you're looking for. If you're looking for the sort of elusive quest (laughs) of like, what are they up to? Then I would listen to one of these just insane things that we couldn't not do, like theme from Lotus, Mm -hmm. you know, which is just me and Daniel just like capturing like, you know, 45 seconds of not even that, you know, of just this weird melody we heard that we were pounding out on electric guitars. And again, it was done in a sort of as a joke, but then I would quickly follow it up with something incredibly disciplined and composed like somewhere. It's tight. It's, you know, I can't even play that fast anymore. I don't know how, we played that fast, the drummer, the guitarist, the bassist, it, and, and yet it's really light insofar as it's a delicate structure. 
and and it's just per, every note is perfectly placed. You take one note, one chord, one beat out of that song, and it falls apart. You that, know, that's awesome. And what you a... listen, you can still hear how the two guitars play off of one another. You wouldn't think with all that distortion and with all that speed that there'd be this kind of jazzy improvisation, but there is. That's really cool. What about words come back? I mean, that is like the ultimate hated song in my book. Um, it's so heavy. It's got this kind of rocker feel to it. And you know that like, I mean, we mean it. There's no question. And it's, it's, it's a come to Jesus moment. It's like, are you able and willing to face yourself? when your words come back to you because this is us man and it's fucking destroying us but we're also taking you know taking heart from that i love that what about the shows coming up how's that feel I mean, it feels great. It, it's also scary because we haven't played together. Daniel and I have played together. We've always kept in touch. You know, we've always traded music. Um, you know, um, you know, we've 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 always been turning each other on to like things that we're listening to now or things that we're writing now. Um, but you know, I mean. Our, we haven't played with Mike Bonner since like 1985. Wow. <laughs> and now he's like in the process of learning and discovering all the shit that came afterwards. And so, you know, it's like my mind is being blown talking to you, whoever's listening to this and just discovering it. Well, think about Mike. Mike was fucking part of it. He's like, I mean, he's like such a unique hardcore drummer. And he didn't even know what hardcore was. Wow. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, he's, he's, he's one of the greats. And, you know, he just, he, you know, he, we had to convince him to play punk rock. He was not having it. He's like, no, no, man, this is like not very sophisticated, not very challenging. It's not very interesting. And we're like, no, 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 check it out. Check it out. You know, there's some sophisticated shit here. He's like, well, maybe. And, you know, we got him to, to play this shit for like nine months or whatever it was. And he fucking smoked it. And wow. and then like we started writing, you know, rubber bullets and he was like, yeah, I think I'll take a pass on that. <laughs> 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 but now he's coming back. And he's like, holy shit. You guys went on to do more stuff. Holy shit. You guys went on to, ins we inspired stuff. People are listening to my music. Are you kidding me? And he, and so he's discovering all the tracks that Daniel and I wrote following his exit from the band and he's loving it and he's learning it now. And so we're going to try to play these songs with him and, you know, both bass players, all three bass players, actually my brother, we haven't released anything with him, but he, Jason, he was part of the band. You know, we played shows together. We did, you know, we went to the studio together. And so we've got three bass players and they're all going to be there. Oh, that um, rules. In one way or another. Yeah. So it feels really righteous. But, you know, 
I'm on this side. I mean, talk to me again, like in a couple months after we played, you know, <laughs> see if I still, if I'm still as happy as I am now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, the other, other thing I wanted to mention outside of the numeral stuff and, and the shows, and we will have a follow-up because um, I think it would be hilarious to hear the difference. Um, uh, you do list on your email uh, a music on SoundCloud um, called Tolstoy, and you have a song called Last Rites. And mm-hmm. I thought it was really beautiful. And Thanks. Um, any any insight on that or what time period or what you were oh, where you were at? Yeah. Sounds pretty dark. I, mean, I recorded that. <laughs> At the beginning of the pandemic. Ah. But I had been writing it for like a year before that. And I mean, it's, you can't really understand. I mean, that's not true. But for me, that song is paired with another song on the Tolstoy collection called You Tell It. Mm -hmm. And You Tell It is just a long acoustic kind of mesmerizing dirge and you tell it is my girlfriend at the time ko sent me this letter and it had this poem and i took the poem and i just wrote this song and i recorded and sent it to her and she's like oh you should put that on soundcloud it's like okay and i did and then since then i've just been like oh why don't i put a couple other things on here that's great but yeah and and last rites was really kind of you know, a song for her and you can hear me singing KO in the song, but it's also a song that's kind of lamenting, not just the end of that relationship, but the end of America. Right. Because at the time, you know, even if like, you know, like Trump decided to drop out of politics, and MAGA went away and the like far, far hard left went away. And we just had like people in the middle, you know, the people in the middle, man, Michael Franti, right? I actually worked and, with Michael. Know, oh, oh, I, you know, I, I met Michael once and I was, I had just seen him play at Red Rocks in Colorado. And it was just a fucking amazing show. I took my, my firstborn son to it. You know, he like, you know, like saw people smoking pot for the first time. Right. And like, and like, and then here I am Monday morning, like getting like at, at the airport, you know, about to fly to like DC or Germany or something. And I see these four guys and they're dressed up in fatigues and they're hip and they've got dreads. And one of them has this fist. I'm like, damn, these guys, do they know that that kind of references Michael Franti and Spearhead? And I realized like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a fucking spearhead, you know, like logo on this guy's shirt. I was like, damn, these guys are like, what are they doing here? Are they like Chicago businessmen who flew in for the weekend to see Michael Franti and Spearhead? And I started looking and we were waiting for the train to get there to take us to the concourse. And I was like, wait a minute, maybe this is Michael Franti and Spearhead. Oh, that's amazing. We get onto the train and I like keep looking at like this really tall guy with dreads. I'm like, that's fucking Michael Franti. It's like, it can't be. This is a Monday morning. I'm about to fly and like talk to the National Science Foundation. No, this is Michael Franti. So I finally turned to him. I was like, hey, man. He's like, what? <laughs> I was like, 
And I just was kind of, I, I felt embarrassed. And so I didn't, I didn't want to like piss him off if he was Michael Franti or make him feel weird if he didn't know who Michael Franti was. I was like, hey man, has everyone ever told you you look like Michael Franti? And without missing a beat, he just put his eyes on my eyes and he kind of lowers his head and he goes, my mother. And he <laughs> <I> looked away. <laughs> That's awesome. It was so sharp. And like, there was this like, nobody said anything for like 30 seconds. And then he's like, why are you here? You know, how do you know who I am? And I was like, oh, I just saw your show. He's like, you what? <laughs> and, you know, it's like. This... <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. To kind of wrap, wrap that back into last rites. You know, there's a sense that that song was about the death of a relationship, but also a death of America but I wasn't going to let it die. I knew that it was going to die. I knew that it was dead already. You know, no matter what happens, even if everything, like I was saying, even if everything kind of went back to my imaginary of just like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if everyone gets along again? There's no more hate speech. Something has still happened. Our world's never going to be the same again. Right. And that, I had to mourn that. And that song is just kind of a whining mournful you know, but it doesn't, it, but it's reaching, it's reaching. It's not giving up on itself. Yeah, there's death, there's loss, there's destruction, there's corruption, but I'm not giving up on my ability to wail about it and to do it in a, you know, what I hope is a beautiful and inspiring and, you know, inviting and empowering way, you know, sonically. I love that. So thinking back, um, you know, how, how does it feel to talk about the hated, um, you know, have, you know, this sort of moment, like, um, what is it, what is it, if you, have you had long thoughts about, like, this is kind of happening again? I mean, you've got this music out in the world, you've got, you know, a, sh a show coming up, and um, what is that sort of, you know, for you kind of summing up, like, how does it feel? It feels you know, like a gift. Um, it feels like a renaissance and it feels like a responsibility. Um, I mean, I just, I just, while you asked me that question, I just opened up the hard shell case from my Fender Stratocaster. And this thing hung on the wall. I moved to Arizona in 2006, seven. Mm-hmm. And every time I move to a new state, whether it's Pennsylvania, Colorado, Arizona, I always buy a new Fender Stratocaster. It's kind of a weird ritual I have. You know, I bought this 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 great Lone Star Strat, and but you know, after after about a year, I just kind of tired of it and I hung it on the wall. And I just really was just playing my old Gibson 1964 L50 F hole thing that that you know you can hear on Rubber Bullets and Waiting. And, you know, when this, when Ken was like, hey, we want you guys to do an acoustic hated duo, I thought, fuck, you know, let's, let's, let's do this. And then Daniel and I spoke and we thought, you know what, let's invite every living member of the fucking hated to do this with us. And so I had to go get my goddamn strat. Like I had to bring it in and get it. I mean, it was, it was 
messed up you know it's like we thought we were gonna have to just like give up on this guitar just like put lots of money into it but it was you know the neck was you know we you know it's like okay we can we can fix this for you (laughs) that's awesome and got it set up um you know got him to push in what's called a, a a push push pot or a something weird where the uh you know because it's got it's got a, a um a humbucker pickup on it by the bridge and um so so i asked the guy to split it so that i have a choice whether i have one pickup or both um and you know i had some more work done on it and you know then i had to i was like oh shit man you know i just got these shitty amps i, I need to get up to speed here so I, I got like five or six pedals, you know, I got an equalizer, you know, got some MXR things, got like, I, I given away my big muff, you know, it's like, I had to go find a big muff. I found out that big muff was, had been reissued. I thought I would not be able to find one. Turns out they're everywhere. Throw a stellar and you get a big muff. Right. Might be a nano big muff, but it's a big muff, you know? Um, so it's like, wow, I feel like I just fell backwards and I was caught by my people, you know? Um, so it, it really feels like the time is right. And I mean, Daniel and I, you know, we'll get together every couple of years and we'll play stuff, but it, it'll usually be like new variations. Where are you at now musically, man? What do you have to say to me on the guitar? But last time I got together, it was like, hey, let's like, let's play the old hated shit. Okay. And it was really magical. It was really magical. We, we just, we didn't talk. We just played notes and chords and strummed and played acoustics. We played electric. We just, we were up early, we were up late, we were outside, we were inside. And it was, it was, it was like a rite of passage. It was like, you guys are ready for this. You guys have no choice you've got an obligation you can't you know you can't hide this Uh, keep it keep it hidden too many people know about it too many people need it you're still alive fucking kick something out so you know i don't know what it's going to be like when we get get the band or bands back together again you know we've got all these bands within the bands you know we've got a nice set list where we're going to crank through and you know everyone's you know all the different combinations you can imagine um but yeah it feels like an honor to do it it feels also like kind of a mission like okay we have to sound good otherwise why are we doing this you know we have to basically we have to convince people again why we matter what we have to offer what we were up to then what we're still up to now you never went away no (laughs) that's awesome that that was perfect eric tom man i'm like really grateful for this did have you done other podcasts or is this your first one this is my first one as a musician nice no yeah no one i don't think anyone will um yeah it's uh yeah, I think when you do more, you'll you'll tell the difference. But um, yeah, it was, it was amazing to kind of hear these stories and um, the way that you interweaved. I, I hope if there's anything else you wanted to mention, but I feel like we covered most everything that makes sense. 
Well, we covered a lot. And, and I just, I mean, the fact that we kept circling back to, I mean, I feel kind of cheesy talking about the heart, but like I'm a poet and, you know, you can find, you know, poets have a pretty good, you know, multi-thousand, multi-millennial tradition. <laughs> you know, I think it's okay to refer to the heart as something that, that people can pay attention to. So now I just want to thank you for kind of pulling some of these stories out of me and these reflections out of me. You got it. it. It's it, it it matters, and it's you know great that we're still around, and people can you know now, like you said, uh, it's not just at the distro; it's now at the world distro. It's at you know anyone can access that stuff. So definitely, there for me there was kind of this trilogy of the Beatles, the Who, and the Clash. Each each one just made me. I love that. You know, just like get just disoriented me and exploded my world. And it's like you can no longer be the same person anymore. <laughs> and when I got to the clash, that was like my last love. You know, it's like the Beatles, the Who and the Clash. That's that's those there's no one ever punched deeper than those three. And and Joe, I mean you know, just, just the fact that people get tattoos that say Joe, right. Everyone knows what that means. Right. You know, and the fact that like when they got together, like Nick and Paul, the two guys that you got to interact with, they were, they were like, okay, this guy is going to be over here. You know, is this, what's his name? Joe something. And, and, and they were like waiting for him to finish collecting a social security check or whatever. And they were going to invite him to like, you know, come to a, an audition. And, and Joe's like, I saw these two guys following me and they're waiting for me. When I come out of this, they're going to try to mug me. So I'm going to just, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to hit the little one and then leg it. <laughs> so good. Oh, that's awesome. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, all right some world-class music but like in between taking a smoke taking a hit of my cigarette and like making sure i've got enough food on the table for my kids you know it's like there's no difference between recording performing giving an interview and just making it through your day right and that kind of it's almost like the life of a soldier the life of someone who's living in a crisis who's living in armageddon who's living in the apocalypse it's like you don't get the luxury of just kind of having a vacation and checking out for a minute but you're also you don't have the, you don't have the existence of a surf a peasant whose heads down all the time you don't think you don't reflect it's like we're fucking thinking and reflecting and we're reading and we're writing and guess what this nothing makes sense. It doesn't. Absolutely and, does not. Yeah. <laughs> it absolutely <laughs> does not. Things are very fucked. Um it was a hard year for me. So yeah, a lot of these things like, you know, resonate too. It's just the you know, it doesn't it's not gonna make sense and we're all just kinda floating through it together and looking forward to certain moments. And and trusting in what is and what's possible and what extends beyond politics, what extends beyond power plays, 
you know, the the heart of all, again, to, to, to refer to another hated song, Underground, you know, the heart of all, right? The, the singer is asking, where is the heart of all? You know, it's like, forget justice and ethics and and doing the right thing. Can you just fucking feel for a minute that we all have a beating heart to, to go back to Miles Davis? Can you imagine if that heart had a unity and it all beat at the same time? Do you know what that would do to the planet? We'd, we'd be better off. Yeah, we wouldn't even like... We wouldn't even be asking questions. We'd be just be solving problems. I love that. We didn't get to talk about your school stuff. Maybe we do. We maybe do a follow up yeah. or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I I think in terms of the the podcast, um, I just I just read your um, you know, the titles and stuff. It seems really interesting. Mm. <laughs> Like future of yeah, innovation no. in society. That's a very rad uh, school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's my way. Uh, I mean, it's it's the continuity. Because I've asked myself, you know, you were asking me some pretty challenging deep questions. You know, what does it feel like? What is, and like on some level, I've had to come. I've had to come to grips with what is the fucking connection between the hated and what I'm doing now. You know? Right. And it's not obvious maybe but to me it is you know it's like i'm just i'm trying to make sense of it all and i'm trying to hold space for authentic questioning and creation and you know so yeah i mean innovation is like a huge buzzword and it's not just a buzzword it's a funding mechanism it's a funding philosophy it's how you raise money from the government it's how you raise money from venture capital. It's how you raise money from everyday people who we call consumers. And it's, it's a pretty good game. You know, it'll, it'll make you wealthy. And it, it also has a kind of public good aspect because it generates all this tax dollars, some of which goes to research, which is kind of curiosity driven and culturally rich, but it's also destroying the planet. You know, it's also just ripping up, the earth and failing to use the resources of the sun and you know pitting countries and populations against one another with uh, you know the, the the technologies of masters of war so it's a it's a really you know it's it's just it's just where i gravitated i was just trying to find those those veins that were running through both the injustices and the possibilities you know what's on the cutting edge what's on the bleeding edge and I developed, you know, a way to put scientists and engineers in dialogue with social scientists and philosophers just to try to bridge that gap. And the results have been mind-blowing. You know, it's, it turns out that the philosophers ask difficult questions and the scientists and engineers are like, well, we don't really know what to say in response to that, but let's build in response to that. We can show you with our research we can show you with our technologies how we translate what you guys are talking about. And it's really edifying because it points to, you know, the possibility of this world kind of getting it together. And I can't let go of that. It's like, again, it's the sense of responsibility. It's like, 
I have a responsibility to see this to the end. If there's something there, I need to expose it. I need to give it to others and, and give them a manual for how to use this shit. So, you know, it's just kind of punk rock up on a different level. I think so. You're leaving a different manual. You left music before and you're leaving, you know, either uh, studies or reports or conversation. Um, and you're essentially translating. You're translating your feelings then and you're translating them between people now. You learned that then. It is. It is. No. Well said. So it is. I, it, that's why I brought it up at the end. I was laughing. I'm like, this makes sense. <laughs> this, this, I know. This, this totally know. checks out. It's bad enough, but nanotechnology. <laughs> right. No, I just, it made it honestly, like not even a joke. Like it made sense. I'm like, based on where you were. And uh, again, I hadn't spoken to you yet, but I just kind of saw that. I'm like, yeah, 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 totally. This makes sense. I mean, there's, there's a guy I spoke to that um, put on shows and festivals and now he runs a casino. It makes perfect sense. It's the same fucking thing. It's chaos, a lot of fucking money, uh, jerks, you know, sketchy people. Like, he's seen it all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) We're just probes, man. I mean, there was a character we grew, just to bring it back to the beginning of the conversation in Annapolis, one of the Annapolis figures was a guy named Billy Beal. And... He like had the most amazing Beatles collection you could possibly imagine, not just vinyl, but magazines, photographs, memorabilia, artifacts, you know, and he was all, he was just an average guy. He worked at Hacks, which was a, a photography camera store where I used to go in to buy like little plastic models that I would glue together and paint. And, and Billy Beetle, man, Billy, he would come into the Annapolis record exchange. I, I used to work there with David Grabani. Later, Ken Hill joined us. I think Daniel worked there and I mean, Billy was just one day talking to me about, you know, he thinks that we're just, why are we here? We're here because we're probes. We're probes for the higher consciousness. You know, our bodies are just sort of experiencing what it's like down here so that we can learn and grow. (laughs) Yeah. That always stayed with me. Yeah, and, you know? and and you were doing it from a musical standpoint. Um, exactly. And then now, exactly. so makes perfect sense. Um, well, I don't know what your insurance you have, but just let me know what that is. I'll put in the group code. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we figured it out. We figured it out today. <laughs> I was glad to be part of it, brother. <laughs> now, what I love doing is. Um, is editing. So I love putting Ooh. these sort of stories together and have people oh, sort Tom, of write. Man, I'm just going to say that like, I trust your editing hands. You got it. I like, and I'm actually, I'm, I don't want to put pressure on you, but I just want to say that like you created such a vehicle for the two of us to go somewhere, go tons of places. I mean, if we had just hit one of these places that were for me, kind of an energy spot, I'd be happy. But we had like five or six of them, and each one had like a series of two or three or four or five conversations. And and so for me, this is really meaningful. And I just want awesome. to thank you for that. And I just want to I want to speak to people. You know, you and I have been speaking to each other, and if that can speak to a bigger group, then fucking great. Yeah. No, I I appreciate that. Um, I don't have a I don't have a goal of like I'm. How are you I'm able the emo to guy. do that? Because that's you are the emo guy. 
You're uh, the emo guy because the, the, everything we, we said about emo <laughs> in terms of the underground explosive quality is like you're embodying that in this production. So I just want to ask you, like, how does it feel to like step into that and own that? Um, a lot of haters. Um, <laughs> a lot of people that you know. Why? Uh, there's, there's money to be made. There, there's, there's marketing to be made. And I have a struggle with it where, um, I was independent for a very long time and I'm actually on a podcast network with someone that was in a hardcore band from Boston. And so he has a really big network that I'm on that helps me from, you know, helps them get shows because I'm on it. Like I sort of waited like a very long time to, and I, I have people that just pay me, like I have a Patreon, but like, it's not much, Mm -hmm. but like it pays for the website upkeep or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, so I, 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 could I have kept the gas on and, and done a lot more and I could have, but also I know that if I put out something or I put something online, I'm doing it because I want to, not because of a press exactly. release that came in exactly. or, and people exactly. know that. So people know exactly. that if I'm putting out, Hey, it's Eric Fisher and you know, David Littleton from the hated people are going to be like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta check this out. Like I don't just put up something because someone like I've told people like that interview sucked and we're not going to put it up (laughs) and uh you know that is beautiful Tom it is beautiful and and I'm struck by how the resonance is between sort of how you narrate your story which you know you're very being very generous because I'm kind of interviewing you now but the resonance between how you narrate the story and how you function as a producer by kind of positioning yourself in the background you're not even positioning yourself you're positioning the artist and you're just enabling the artist i i love that because i am that way in my work and i i love when people do that but i find many people can't do that and they just can't they just get in the way of themselves and so i just want to applaud that ethos that you have and continue to probe it and say, what's the connection between that and emo? <laughs> I mean, the hater were anti-commercial at the beginning. We made it, we tried to like put little landmines in there so we couldn't be popular. And I think the reason we did that was because we wanted to preserve something that was essential. That you can't live without. Right. You know, there was, there was, there was a, um, uh, a, a vinyl store in Boulder, Colorado called Bart's. And then later when the CD revolution came, they were called Bart's CD seller. I think they were like Bart's vinyl seller and the Bart's CD seller or whatever. But, um, you know, they quoted this thing that you always hear all the time without music, life would be a mistake. And, and it, it's like, when you realize that you, you dedicated, you're like, no, 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 I'm dedicated to this. And so what you just said about doing this part-time, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to do it. You know, it's like, yeah, because it's true to the medium. If you just did this full time, it would consume you and you would have to think about things that are instrumental. Whereas if you do it part time, you can just give it the, 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 the attention that it needs, the, the motivation that you have for coming here in the first place. And so it can be pure. Yeah. And yeah, and that keeps it living. And that's the weird, that's the challenge we face is how to, how to 
treasure, you know, preserve and treasure and cherish life, not as a political football to get votes, but as a vital force for renewal, you know, in local communities and who knows, maybe globally too. I feel happy that people resonate with it and, and connect to it. And do I wish my output was more? Do I wish that, you know, I could be like Ken and, you know, do some of these. Your output's route- amazing, man. You've got hundreds of podcasts and, and, and you've got books and, and volumes and publications. Like, I think it's just a question of doing it. It's the question of the process, not the product. You know, the product speaks for itself. The process is what we have to preserve and what we have to keep authentic and emo you know that 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 energy we were talking about whether with government issue or rights of spring or hated the way that it expresses itself as as like almost ready to consume itself you know it's because it's such a vital force and it's overlooked by society you know people you know, you can feel it and, and feel the burn. You can feel it there, you know, but it, it's, then it goes away. And then you can feel it in like a Fugazi song and it goes away. It's like, where is it? Why don't we have this? It's like there's this imbalance in political, you know, social, dy- ecological dynamics. And, and so I just think of you as keeping the flame alive. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel that. I just, I, I so apprehensive. Like, I mean, I do interviews or people want to talk to me about stuff, but it's just, it's like, listen to the show, read the book, go listen to a band you've never heard, like check out a playlist and go listen to a band. And, um, you know, it's like, it's, um, because no, no one, no one was writing it down when I was started this. No one wrote down, no one was talking about Sunny Day Real Estate when I started the website. Yes, there was stuff online and in alternative press, but like online, there was nothing. And it was sort of like, all right, I'm just going to write down what I think about this band. And people started finding it. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been really fun. I just think the motivation, um, is the hardest thing because it's so discouraging um, from, you know, like I said, people not wanting to do it because of the name or, you know, the re- it's, it's very, it's such a, there's no other word. Like, like if I named it punk, like if, uh-huh. it, if it wasn't emo, I would have so many people on. There's people right. that have like big bands, like the 1975 yeah. and like all these, <laughs> like these massive bands love the show, but mm-hmm. they like, they don't want to come on because it says emo. And I'm like, that's right. hilarious. You like the music, but you won't come on to a show that says emo. Like, are you joking? Like, but it's do not I... emo. It's washed up emo. I know. So you're calling attention to the name. It's and so funny. I mean, I, I mean, I love what you're doing. And I, 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 I sympathize with the loneliness. It fucking sucks. But it's also kind of like, you know, welcome to, you know, welcome to the crucible. I know. You know, and you've got you've got this long-term vision. You've got a historical understanding of this. And that feeds the soul, right? And that also helps you curate what you're seeing and and what, you know, what people say because you can pull out why you're doing this and have those moments of resonance. Right. And and you know, and people are going to find that and they do find that. They have, I mean, that's another you know, aspect of, of what, you know, when I was looking into washed up emo, I was just looking at its reception and people do pay attention to it. People do, you know, get impacted 
by your curatorial choices. And, you know, no one's necessarily going to like talk about it, but it's felt and you have to draw strength from that. And you have to feel that, you know, again, it's like we were talking about, it's not about success. It's more about like virtue, just like doing the right thing and being in line with yourself. Right. You know? Right. And I, I guess, you know, people want feedback or they, I'm not fishing for compliments ever, but I think there's those moments where, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, I know people listen. I know that people, um, understand it and I do it. I do it anyway. I do it anyway. Yeah. If, if no one listened or a thousand people, like I had so many people listen for like years and then I just stopped for six months. I was like, I, I gotta mm. stop. I got to just reset and kind of do something else or I was working on something else or I might have been in a band at the time and mm. and then I went back to it and I think I lost, you know, people stopped listening or something and mm-hmm. it's just, it was sort of, okay, whatever. Um, and it, it, over time, um, you know, it's, it's um, yeah, so I, 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 I appreciate that. I think this, the, the context of this story, I think people are going to really resonate with um, because like I said, not a lot of people from this era, you know, talk, um, you know, Ian, Ian did. It's true. Yeah. No, I mean, that's like, even if you just take the hated as an example, we never talked about this stuff until, you know, Ken Shipley kind of forced us to, to come to a reckoning. Right. You know, <laughs> right. Like, you know, cause he's got no problem using the emo label and we're all just like emo. What you're what, right. You know, the godfathers of what? And, and, and and so, you know, he is a connector. You're a connector, you know, and he's got his own visions. You've got your visions. I've got my visions. Daniel's got his visions. You know, Ian's got his visions. He's got his visions. And they all contribute to a kind of collective experience right. that is more reliable than whatever forces are ordering our reality right now. Oh, totally. No, it's like, I feel like, you know, my I think my first AOL screen name was like Against the Grain. Like, or my, right. my, no, my first radio show was called Against the Grain. And it was like, Ooh. that's like, it was not, it was like, I know there's more out there. I know that there's yes. whatever. So yeah, it's, um, that's what's exciting, you know, um, about this, there's always something new. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And not just something new, but something promising. Right. Yeah, no, and, and, and people find it. I mean, there's kids in the Philippines that hit me up, and they're like, I didn't know anything about emo, and right? now I do this. It's crazy. Yeah, brother. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, no, man, thank you for yeah, thank having you. me on. 